0: morning everybody. It's so nice to see your masked faces. Why don't you stand up and give a little wave or an air high five to the people around you and let's start worshiping together. Let's worship in every season even if it's difficult or challenging or different. Um, the only way is, is to worship through it. Let's do that. welcome here. It's still in a different sort of way, but it's closer and closer to what we were used to before. And I hope that we can learn that we can um, worship together in so many different ways and that God is is present everywhere, not just in this space, but um, it is very good to be back again with all of you. Um, So Janae will now read the, the psalm, the call to worship.
1: Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor by the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever.
0: In the past, we've sometimes done this next song as more of a call and response, but today we would just encourage you to sing everything sing as much as you want so we'll sing give thanks to God together next song might be new to some it's been sung before but a little while ago Um, and it's called the blessing and it's one of the beautiful ancient blessings that the Israelites were given Um, and maybe you just want to listen and kind of receive this blessing or maybe you want to um, sing it out and proclaim it over yourself and the people around you so we're just going to give you that um, space to sing or to just receive. is from Exodus chapter 20, verses two and seven. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain.
2: Good morning, are we good? Good morning. Last night at about 11.45, I realized I needed something to put up for the online service. And because of that, I was like, what would be a good message for our first week back for the people that can't make it in? And I was like, why not get the first ever quarantine message that we did all the way back in March 22nd of 2020? And at the end of that, I was listening it and I almost teared up a little bit because that... That service concludes with the line we can do this we have gotten through things before god will be with us and here we are all gathered this morning with good reason to think that this is going to be this is going to be it my brothers and sisters we got through this praise be to god now i get to see whether or not i remember to preach. I guess I always did it a bit hackneyed to begin with, so. (laughs) But before we get into that, there is prayer items that we need to cover. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Our God, we are delighted to come before you together again. Thank you so very much for staying with us over the last 18 months. Thank you so very much for making yourself known to us over the last 18 months. My God, thank you. Thank you so very much for being the head of the church that knows what is going on during this difficult time. And Lord, I pray, please help none of us to ever let that astounding fact pass us by. And God, we come before you this morning bringing a number of things that are on our hearts. As we look outside, it has been so dry for so very long. We already don't quite know what is going to happen to the crops this year. And more than that, the fires, not more than that, but the fires are also raging out of control. And so, God, we pray once again for rain. Lord, we see how it's beginning to form out to the west, and we help and we pray that it finds its way to us as well. Lord, this is a prayer that has been brought before you countless times before, and we have seen answered countless times before as well. And so, God, we pray, send the rain. And God, with the coming board meeting on Tuesday and the big discussions that are going to be starting, Lord, we know that we need your wisdom. We know that we need your guidance. And Lord, we just pray that we will be able to see you there very clearly. And we pray that the fruit of that will show itself clearly over the months to come. Our God, we bring each of these things before you this morning. And once again, we say thank you that we can see each other face to face. In your name we pray, amen. All right, now the moment of truth. Welcome to our next outing in our series on the Ten Commandments. It's a series where we have been looking at the commandments one by one and trying to ask ourselves, of all of the possible rules and regulations that are out there, why is it that these items belong on this list, the list of the commandments? And in answering those questions, my hope is is that we can not only answer what it is that we Christians should be against, but also, more importantly, what we Christians should be for. And along with that, how we should live our lives as a response. This week, we are on to the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. A commandment that, as we're going to see in just a bit, uh, has actually quite a steep prescription for us these days. But we're going to begin today by doing something I don't actually... No, if I've ever done before in a sermon, uh, we're going to talk just a wee hint of philosophy, which is something that sounds very exciting to some of you and something that sounds very boring to the rest. But bear with me; it's going to be a good time because we're going to be asking a question that Plato and Shakespeare himself would be equally proud of. We're going to be asking a question that is surprisingly deep for such a simple question. We're going to be asking the question: What's in a name? What is the purpose of a name? What is the function of a name? Why why do we even have them? I figure if we're going to talk about why it is that we shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain, maybe that is a pretty good question to ask before we go any farther because these days I don't really think that we actually believe that there is all that much in a name. We We think of names mainly just as identifiers these days. I am Russell, so in your mind under the category of Russell, then you're going to find me there right next to Crow, probably. That, there I am. It's nice, simple, but also, this is a wholly inadequate way to actually understand what the Third Commandment is driving at. Because surprise, surprise, like many of the other things that we've talked about over the last two weeks, Names are something that the people from the time of the Bible, the ancient people, they they thought of in a much bigger sense than we do today. They certainly would have thought of names in this way as identifiers. Uh, Turn to Genesis 2, and there you see Adam naming all the things of the garden, and this is undoubtedly a part of the reason why. Like this is a hedgehog and this is a hibiscus, so you can tell them apart. But there is also... A lot more going on in that passage as to what's with a name as well. Well, what all? Well, let's continue to unpack this by asking what else is in a name. Another thing that we can see in a name, even today, is information on possession, information on belonging. From my personal experience growing up in the interlake, surrounded by Icelanders, I don't think you can see it anywhere more clearly than with those fine people. Historically, if you were an Icelander, then your last name was whatever your dad's first name was, followed by the suffix son if you were a boy and dottir if you were a girl. If you've ever heard the last names Einarsson, Eriksson, Johansen, or Magnuson, that's because somewhere in that family's line there was an Ainer, an Erica, a Johan, or a Magnus who at, all, at some point in time had a bouncy, bubbly baby boy that they loved very much. The name, it shows Possession. It shows belonging. Parents name their children. Their children belong to the family. Founders name what they found. There is relation. There is order in a name. And this is also very much so found in Genesis 2. Remember when humanity was made in the image of God in Genesis 1 and then tasked with looking after all of creation to which Adam goes out and he names all the things. That action is this principle on display. In a way, by naming things, all things are in that relation to us. What else is in a name? Well, Connected to this idea, names also have historically been understood to be a descriptor of a person as well, of a thing as well. We, to some extent, still do this today. I think everybody knows what their name means. My name is Russell, which means red-bearded. The name Evelyn means wished for. But in Scripture, we can see this just everywhere. And in creation as well. For in Genesis 2, it is God who gives the first human being molded from clay the name Adam, a name which means son of the earth. Why does it mean that? Because it's a variant of the word Adam, it's a Hebrew word that means earth. In the Bible, more often even than even that, names are a description of what and who a person is, and as such, their name is a part of who they are. It's indistinguishable from who they are, like their hair or like their mind is. Their name is a part of them. Another example, the name Israel. It means wrestles with God. And finally, for now, there's, there's a lot more things that are in a name, but... I want to end it on just this fourth one. A name is also a status signifier. It is a source of authority. Think the phrase, his name opens doors to get kind of what I mean. If you happen to have the last name Bezos, it doesn't matter if you are the Jeffrey or not, how hard do you think it would be for you to get a loan if you wanted one? How hard do you think it would be uh, to be listened to if you thought you had a good idea? How hard do you think it would be to meet with somebody in government about something? I suspect not very. This doesn't mean that you actually deserve to be treated with that level of status or authority. I mean, it's the Jeffrey Bezos that actually warranted that authority, but you're just flying high on the coattails. But you, in some small way, have access to some amount of that authority, all by nature of having that name. And in Genesis 2, names work in this way as well. Why was Adam allowed to name all of creation in the first place? Because humanity was made in the image of God, because humanity was named directly by God. Adam was given that name from the source itself. There is that close connection, and in it came that authority to name others in turn. So what is in a name? Well, these days, we might not think very much, but historically, biblically, in a name, there is identification, there is connection, there is description, and there is authority. Borrowed or not, a name is not just something about you. It is instead a part of who you are, like your hair or your mind. What is in a name? There is an awful lot. But why is this all important? Aren't we supposed to be bringing this back around to the third commandment at some point? Well, here's why I wanted to spend all this time unpacking this idea of the meaning of names. Because now I want to ask you all a single question that is also a simple question, but is also deceptively deep. What is in the name of God? Given the information that we have just seen that you can glean out of what is in a name, what can you learn about who God is by just his name? I suspect if you begin writing on this the moment that you get home, or even now, you're going to find that you are still writing on this quite a ways into the future. Because from all that we have discussed alone, at the absolute minimum— you would note the following. You would note that nobody actually names God in the Bible. He names himself, both when he tells Moses that his name, what his name is in Exodus 6, but also when he sends an angel to tell Mary that her son should be named Jesus. In terms of a name being an identifier and in terms of a name being a way to tell possession and connection and order, That God always had a name and only names himself would have to mean that not only is God just utterly unique in this respect, but he is also, like we said, he is the source. If everything is connected to everything else by nature of names, being named and naming others, that no one names God and that he names the one who names everything else, means that in that chain of order, in that chain of connection, God is at the top of it. And in thinking in terms of description, then you would have to say again that our God is singular. In that passage in Exodus 6, Yahweh is the name that the Lord gives to Moses as to the answer of the question of who made a covenant with the Hebrew people. This is the name our God tells humanity is his. And what does that name mean? It means the Lord. And here, really emphasize the. In his essence, this is who our God is. Just as Adam is a child made of the earth, as we saw happen, so too is our God holy, the Lord. And finally, in terms of status, in terms of authority, that our Lord's name is Adam, to which Adam was then able to go on and name everything else. That has to mean that there is no higher source of authority than God. So again, I ask you, what is in the name of God? By my reading, at the very least, there is the very power that the order of all creation hinges upon, and it's with that and knowing that, that this is what is in the name of God, not just some passing external identifier like how we think of names today, but instead, in some real way, the source of authority, of the power that all the created order itself rests upon. That this is what is in the name of God means that now we can begin to truly appreciate what the third commandment is actually driving at Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Who here has ever heard some version of the following? Raise your hand. If you lend me money now, I will pay you back, I swear to God. I have. Or, I swear to God, I did not steal that thing from you, whatever that thing might be. Oh, I have worse friends than some of you, it seems. (laughs) Or maybe, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. (laughs) In each of these instances, we are invoking a name that is above literally everything as a backing to something that is, in the grand scheme of things, mundane. In each of these examples, and the millions of others like it, we are invoking the ultimate power in all of creation to serve as a guarantor to something as simple as us keeping our word. This is, in every sense of the word, inappropriate, because it... Lessons what the name of God is in the ears of the world around us every time it happens. And imagine now that after you swear something like that, you find yourself breaking that oath. What do you think that would do to the power of the name of God in the world around us? Well, I think you already know that. Because who here would ever lend money to somebody that the only thing they had backing them when they asked for a loan was, I swear to God, I will pay you back. At this point, that phrase is practically a metaphor for I am not trustworthy. And it took millennia of using the Lord's name in vain for us to get to that point. But even if you were not someone to swear by the Lord on something inconsequential... The chances are still that you have run across the other consequences of this commandment before. For what false teacher out there hasn't uttered the phrase, the Lord told me to tell you before slinging out something that runs against Scripture in every way? This isn't saying that God doesn't talk to people and that they shouldn't pass on what they have been told, but instead that doing that is a very serious thing that should be taken very seriously. Speaking on the behalf of God is worth spending some time to test it against the word, because as we know from our passage today, saying that we are doing something on behalf of God when it is not is a bad place to be. So why is it that of all the possible rules and regulations, this command makes it on the list? That we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. Because every time God's name is invoked to guarantee or to add authority to something mundane, every time it is used to say something is on his behalf when it isn't, it is in a very real way lessened from the place of authority and power that it is supposed to occupy in the ears of the world. And as such, they treat everything else that also comes from the name of God with that same lower level of expectation and respect. It ruins the credibility. And that is why this is an offense unto the Lord that we should all be taking a whole lot more seriously as the church than we historically have. So I tell you, my brothers and sisters, do not use the name of the Lord in vain. But if this is why we should not take the name of the Lord in vain, how can we live as believers to ensure that this is not the problem that we find ourselves in? What should we be for if we should be against that? And here is where we find that steep prescription that I mentioned at the beginning of our message today. Because the answer can't just simply be, don't you do it. Because as we all know, that damage has already been done. The name of our Lord has already been dragged through the mud to the point that for much of the world, nothing, it's nothing more than a passing statement that means nothing, or worse yet, it's a joke. I mean, we won't even lend to people as Christians who use it as a backing. So what does that say for everyone else? So how do we live as people who are for using the name of God as it is meant to be instead of those who use it in vain. Well, by my reckoning, we have to learn to live in a way that sees the value of that name built up again. If we are to be against using the Lord's name in vain, that can only mean that we have to be for living in a way that sees his name reclaim the authority that it is meant to hold which, as you may have guessed, is an especially challenging way to live right about now. Because I dare say that the name of God in North America, including in our province, is not exactly at a premium these days, thanks in no small part to how the church has chosen to weather the past 18 months, but really longer than that. Because in that time, I would say, fairly or not, the church in North America has become known for not really caring for the world around it anymore. In the last two decades, the church in North America has become seen as inward-facing, seen as a weird kind of isolationist where we care about ourselves. You can come join us, and we'll care about you. But if you're outside our walls, then no. And at the same time, we've also become very loud about the rightness of this view and all the other views that hurt people around us as well. On mountaintops, we have announced to the world that God tells us the right way to live, which is fine, which is true. But then for a number of reasons beyond what we have time to discuss today, the way that the church has been choosing to live that out has been very contrary to what we know Christ actually tells us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, the gold standard of Christian action in the Bible. By declaring that this is how God tells us to act and then acting in a way that is often straight out opposed to his teachings, the church has, I would argue, in effect, taken the name of God in vain. We're telling everybody he says one thing and then doing the exact opposite. It's the same as any of the other examples I listed above. As a whole, the church's actions have become seen as uncaring to the people outside of its walls. As a whole, the church's actions have become seen as isolationist, as backward, and more concerned with itself than those around it. As a whole, the church's actions have become seen as anti-intellectual, anti-environmental, violent, and often hateful, and I don't think that anybody here is really going to disagree with me on that. Are those views all warranted? Again, honestly, I really don't think they are, but there are reasons that each of them are what is held most of which come down to a few bad actors both a 1,000 miles away, and I guess also if the news is to be believed about that PI trailing the Chief Justice this past week, I guess closer as well. But truthfully, it, it doesn't really matter if they are warranted or not, because the world outside the church doesn't know the intricacies of how a church functions or how the different denominations believe or play with one another or anything. They don't even know that there's a difference between groups of Christians here and those countries away. The world outside doesn't know not to paint with a broad brush because they are not inside our walls. They just see that Christians are the ones that are claiming to act for God and that then act in a way that is morally abhorrent. And when they see that, tell me how the power of the name of God is not tanked in their ears. So what are we here at McGregor EMC to do about it? We who, though we have our shortcomings, sure haven't really done much to warrant these thoughts ourselves, all things considered, but how are we supposed to change the minds of the world as to the value of the name of God? Well, by my figuring, we aren't. Not supposed to change the minds of the world anyway, but we certainly are supposed to try to tackle the community we live in and our neighbors. If the world around us thinks that the church is uncaring to those outside its doors, we show them we care. We work to build up our community. We make it a better place to live in for those who have it hard in life. And we can all do that. Take your neighbor out for coffee. Be quick to help them when they need help and build a relationship with them so they'll actually tell you when they need help in the first place. Clean up trash as you find it in the park. Donate and volunteer with community projects as you can shop local to see our local economy built up. These are not ways that we have classically thought of showing care to the world around us but they are all ways that the people around us understand care. And you have to speak their language before you can expect they want to learn yours. If the world around us thinks that the church is backwards and isolationist and more concerned with itself than those around it, in our town, with our neighbors, we live the opposite. We share our expertise with those who need it, and we all have expertise. We continue to host events outside our usual fare, maybe something health care related just about now. But we do this in our church as the community needs and as we're able and comfortable to. We work to be seen in our lives as integral to the function of the lives of the people around us by getting involved as needed in the organizations around us as well. We we need to show people that we are willing to be involved with them before we can expect that they will want to be involved with us. And if the world around us thinks that we are violent and hate-filled in our nature, then to the people around us, we seek to again live the opposite. We broaden our thoughts of what it means to be pro-life, from just being about abortion, to instead being an all-encompassing worldview, to being about bettering the quality of life to those around us, to lowering the bar and easing the transition to becoming a member of our community. Then we show new people as they come to town their way around. It's often scary when you first show up and you don't know anything. Never underestimate the power of showing somebody the best place to eat which we have an in on. (laughs) Maybe, and here are some long-term goals. We figure out why starter homes in our town are priced out of reach for low-income people. And we figure out a way to address that. From personal experience, I can't think of very many things that are more stressful than not being able to afford the place you live, yet needing to live there anyway. And in everything we do, we work towards reconciliation in a world that is often at its own throat. Even if, especially if, that reconciliation is uncomfortable for us, which, with everything pertaining to the legacy of residential schools, just about now, I suspect that it will be. But it's in living this way that we will be living as people who raise the worth of the name of God with the people around us today. And as we have heard time after time after time over the last couple months now, while that might seem small, while that might seem local, we'd be amazed what God can do with something small. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. This commandment, as we have seen, is on this list for a very important reason. Because without it, the world comes to think of our God as inconsequential. And his message, one not of care for his children, but of irrelevance or worse. So, my brothers and sisters, in how we live, I tell you, let us work to build up the name of our God in the eyes of those around us. Let us live out the care that he shows us to even the least of the peoples of the world, because if we do this, we will know what it means to hear the name of God and once again tremble in its majesty again. Amen. Today, we turn to the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your faith, so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may be rich in hope. Serve our Lord well.